Hare Krishna, Sanchikalpa, Tribhyascha, Kripta, Sindhu, Devacha, Patitanam, Bhavanibhyo, Vaishnavibhyo, Namo, Namaha. So we're resuming our discussion here. Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 11, Chapter 22, The Elements of Material Creation. And we are up to 26. There was a previous section... Uh, which this is divided up. But 26, now, Uddhava begins to ask a question. He expresses a a doubt that it's very difficult to perceive the difference between Purusha and Prakriti. Um, And uh, earlier, of course, uh, Krishna has, you may recall, uh, first of all, Answering Uddhava's statement at the very beginning, uh, given his account of his own uh, categorical system of 28 elements, and then uh, starting with text 19, then gives a summary of the systems of other philosophers. All of these were were mentioned by number uh, seven, seven elements, six elements, four elements, 17, 16, 13, 11, and 9 at the very beginning of the, of the, of the chapter. And so Krishna does a quick one, run through of all of those and that, that section. Uh, and then he summarizes the last verse from last uh, uh, text 25. Uh, uh, in this way, uh, these uh, these uh, rishis, great philosophers, have analyzed uh, the material elements in different ways. Uh, sankhya prashankyanam enumerated or analyzed or categorized the tattvas. We're back to that word tattva. Remember, it went through different others, Buddha. And, and so on. Uh, uh, this has been done, and uh, uh, and, and all this is nyayam, logical. And he uses the word yuktimatva, having the characteristic of reasonableness or appropriateness. They're all okay. <laughs> Basically, they're all right. He says that in the beginning. None of them are wrong. Because in the very beginning of the chapter, recall, he says, actually, since every element, all the causes include their effects, and all the effects include the cause, you can divide up the pie many different ways, and they're all of them not wrong. <laughs> he has his own, Uddhava says, you have your own, you've, you've said 28, but now all these other, who's right? And basically said, they're all right. So they're very broad-minded all-inclusive view. And then he says at the end of 2029, uh, what lack of, uh, of brilliance is there? Uh, Shobha is shining or brilliance. So we say that the sun is brilliant, but somebody's mind is brilliant. What lack of brilliance is there is those who are vidusha, those who are learned. That's what he says. So that's the summary. So now we start. 26, 27, and 28. Uddhava speaking 
and he asked this question, how to perceive the difference between spirit and matter, or the first two categories, technically, prakriti, purusha. As we see, those, yeah, those are the main sort of fundamental terms of the various Sankhya systems, whether theistic or atheistic, they both have Prakriti and Purusha as the beginning. Anyway, we'll get into that. So I'm going to read text 26 here. We'll say our mantra first. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So 26 goes Sri Uddhava Uvacha Prakriti Purushaschobhau Yadyatma Dilakshanao Anyonya Pasrayat Krishna Drishate Nabida Tayo Prakatao Lakshate Hyatma Prakritis Tatmani. You know that this verse has uh, three lines. Uh, six, technically, six, six potters, uh, six potters, two lines, <laughs> really, three lines, but six, six uh, potters. So this is his uh, statement here, uh, and so he's saying the translation here. So notice how it begins: Takuti Purushas. When, when Krishna, in text fourteen, announces what his system is first two words, Prakriti Purusha. Uh, and this, as I said, is characteristic of, of Sankhya, uh, these two categories. There's the Purusha, and the, uh, 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 see here, here it's translated as living entity. What you'll find out in this section in Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur is constantly translated as the Lord. And, and here in this section, throughout the section, the BBT takes Purusha to denote Jivatma, whereas Vishnu Chakravarti takes Purusha to denote Paramatma. Because Purusha basically means spirit. And it's like the word Atma, in one sense, but the word atma can refer uh, to the jivatma or to paramatma. So similarly, purusha, the enjoyer, can be the living entity who is a subsidiary enjoyer, or it can be the supreme lord. Uh, so then, later on, the BBT translation switches over very consciously, with, without mentioning what they're doing, the meaning of, 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 in the translation, the meaning of Purusha to the Supreme Lord, saying, well, it can mean both, and they start talking about the Lord, because that's Vishwanath Chakravarti. Otherwise, when they say the living entity, there are other, there are other uh, commentators who will say that way. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, Prakriti and Purusha Chobo. This because this is this is the nature of Sankhya, whether it's theistic or atheist, because there is the a Prabhupada calls the atheistic Sankhya. Uh, where the where the where the Purusha here only means 
jivas. There's jivas, but no supreme jiva, no supreme jiva, uh, living being. Uh, uh, we'll talk a little bit more later on about the atheistic sankhya, because it's what everybody thinks is sankhya. Um, uh, so, so, but these are the categories. Prakriti, purusha, chobal. I see uh, chobal. These uh, both uh, 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 they are yajati atma vilakshanal. The two are, this is that AU ending there is a Sanskrit dual form, meaning the two, atma lakshana. They, they are uh, uh, constitutionally distinct. They say with this atma lakshana, vilakshana. Vilakshana means distinct. But here when you say Atma Vilaksha, in, the, in their very nature, uh, they're constitutionally distinct, uh, Uddhava says. Uh, 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 and there appears to be, uh, but... Uh, Drishate Nabidatayo. One it looks between these two tayo. There seems to be no bida, no difference, because they are anyonya. They have apashraya, you know. Yet apasvarasaya my taking shelter. As a verse in the Bhagavatam, one who has taken shelter of one who has taken shelter of the Lord. Yet apashraya uh, so this apashraya, because of taking shelter of each other, the purusha and the prakriti, they have taken shelter of each other. This is characteristic of sankhya, that these two things are joined somehow together. Uh, and the, the way the atheistic sankhya, you, you may remember Prabhupada um, use an example which I think Einstein used it about science and philosophy or Prabhupada used it about, yeah, he used it about Indian America. The example of the lame man and the blind man that, that, that uh, India has knowledge but no material resources. America has, so is therefore like the like the like the like the like the the the, uh, the, 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 the man, but who can see the sighted layman, and in America it is like the blind walker, the blind man who can who can, who can walk. So the part together separately they can't do anything, but then when they're together. The layman, then they can go somewhere. I think Prabhupada used that example with the India and America together, with two of these things, with the material resources and the spiritual vision. Right? So that's the layman and the blind. But that example is originally comes from Sankhya, where the Purusha can see but is inactive, it has no actions. And that. Uh, but active is is prakriti. 
uh, and Vaprakriti is blind. So consciousness is the Purusha, Prakriti is unconscious. And then they, they are associated with each other. But actually, uh, Purusha, and it's according to the Sankhya, so there's something we disagree with. They, according to them, the, the, the Purusha doesn't do anything. And inexplicably, Prakriti, they don't say how, it's just active, or seem, it's active with the associated uh, Purusha. Nanantheistic Sankhya seems to have a cosmology where there's just these two basic things there, Purusha and Prakriti, and somehow or other they're together. And what you aim for is the I, I withdrawal, the, 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 the Sankhya uh, uh, philosophy, the very first statement of Ishwara Krishna's uh, Sankhya uh, Takarika is, is to become free from suffering. That's the aim. And the suffering comes because of this uh, uh, identification of Purusha and Prakriti together and you want to isolate them from each other. And that the ultimate state is there's a bunch of Purushas who are kind of just isolated from each other as well. Uh, uh, but they're liberated. That, that seems to be... The, the, so this is the, the Purusha and the Prakriti. So, so they're, together, they're together. And so in, in that, at, that, at Sankhya, uh, this consciousness is from the Purusha. So this is like the... the, 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 the uh, the lame man, but he can't do anything uh, inactive, and then the Prakriti is active but blind. So that this is how they seem to be have taken shelter of each other. So this is at least implicitly a, a kind of discussion of the of the uh, you know find as they translate here residing within one another. Uh, thus, uh, thus it says. Prakrito lakshate jatma prakritis cha tatatmani. Now here the purusha is called atma. Again, atma can be paramatma or atma. Thus the soul appears to be within nature, nature meaning prakriti, and nature within the uh, purusha. So here they translate it as soul with a small s, but Manuswani's translation, which is following the purport, the commentary of Vishnu Chakravarti, he translates it this way, O Krishna, although Prakriti and the Lord are intrinsically different, not the soul, but there's Lord here, there appears to be no difference between them because they are mutually dependent. The Lord appears to be within the body, and the body appears to be within the Lord. That's how he translates it. And I, by body, I don't know quite whether they, they're referring to the individual body and the super soul in the body, uh, or whether the, the body is the whole universe itself. I'm not quite sure about that. So they appear to be distinct. Uh, so here, uh, the BBT purport, that says, the Sri Uddhava here expresses the doubt that arises in the heart of an ordinary conditioned soul. 
Although the Vedic scriptures declare that the material body is a temporary fabrication of the material modes of nature, the conscious living entity within the body is actually an eternal spirit soul. I mean, it really applies in both cases. I really, really think you can read it both ways, depending on what you take the reference to Purusha to be. Um, and you can switch back and forth when they have to be true in both cases. And sort of what justifies doing that is Krishna's original statement. You can divide the... You pie up many different ways and they're all valid. In the Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna has declared the material elements constituting the body to be his separated inferior energy whereas the living entity is the superior conscious energy of the Lord. And the, 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 the non-theistic or atheistic Sankhya just doesn't have that source of both. If you remember Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita tells Arjuna, now I'm going to tell you everything that there is. And he, and he does it. And there are these two energies. There's the inferior energy, the apara and para prakriti. And then there's the source of both. And then that's me, and beyond me there's nothing further to be known. So that, that's how Krishna does it in the Bhagavad Gita. But Sankhya doesn't have that, they just have these, these two things, the atheistic Sankhya. Uh, his separated inferior energy, uh, then the living entities, their spirit, on the basis of that, Prabhupada says knowledge means to know what is spirit, to know what is matter, and what is the source of both. That constitutes knowledge. So he goes on, still in conditioned life, the material body and conditioned soul appear inseparable and thus non-different. If you look at yourself, you, you can't see that consciousness pervades the body. So many people want to see that consciousness is just some kind of... Uh, Epiphenomena is the actual technical term of the body. It's like you have a radio, but it puts out sound waves or broadcasts. Uh, you know, it's like that. Uh, so you have a gross machine, but there's some kind of emanation coming out of it. Uh, that's similarly, that's epiphenomena of matter. Um, uh, and, and of course, so there's reductive, this is called reductionism. There's only one thing, matter. Uh, so uh, how do they get together? And I remember one of my early days, uh, uh, when going out every day, distributing Back to Godhead magazine, trying to tell people in the streets of Philadelphia that, that you're not the body. And one guy just couldn't grasp it. And he says, wait a minute, you're trying to tell me I'm not me. It's contradictory. You know, because, because the bodily identification is so strong. You just can't imagine. And you say myself, you know, you, you, it's, that's the body. That's what I am. So in the conditioned life, material body and conditioned soul appear inseparable and thus indifferent. And the whole effort of Sankhya of any kind is to get you to, to distinguish and then to withdraw 
least the the the, the, the sunk itself to, to 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 understand the difference and then to back off to make the Prakriti inactive with reference to the purusha that, that you are. Because the living entity, I'll go back to the purport, because the living entity enters the womb of a mother and gradually comes out with a developed body, the soul appears to have entered deeply within material nature. It does. We seem to be embedded. Similarly, by the soul's identification with the material body, the body appears to enter deeply within the consciousness of the soul. What is more, the body cannot exist without the presence of the soul. And similarly, people think, when the body dies, the soul vanishes. It's not there anymore. So it seems to have disappeared along with the death of the body. So it's extinguished. By this apparent mutual dependence, the difference between the body and the soul is obscured. Sri Uddhava therefore questions the Lord in order to clarify the issue. So this is, if you take the soul as uh, this person is referring to Purusha as the, uh, as the individual soul, it's perfectly understandable. Uh, so then, uh, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur's commentary, he says, another doubt arises from this discussion. This is translated by Banu Swami. Prakriti or Maya and the Lord, Purusha, are intrinsically different since Prakriti is unconscious and the Lord is conscious. Though this is shown in the scriptures because the two depend on each other in the body, they do not appear different. Uh, So he is referring to the, the material body individual body. That mutual dependence is described. The Lord is seen in the body, prakritao, the product. And the product, the body, is seen in the Lord because both are based on each other. They are mutually dependent. This seems to be talking about uh, the, the individual bodies. It could be the whole universe too. Because Prabhupada says the first step in God-realization is the universe is divine. That, that, kind of, uh, uh, that kind of animism which worships nature is God. And, and it's, it's true. There's a sense in which it's true. There's some truth to it. Not the whole truth, but it's there. So, so then he goes on. Uh, Uddhava asks, he says in the next text, that's next is 27, he says, Eva me pundarikaksha mahantam samshayam hidi kikumarasi sarvajna vachobir uh, o lotus-eyed Krishna, O omniscient Lord, kindly cut this great doubt out of my heart with your own words which exhibit your great skill in reasoning. 
So he calls the Lord Pundarika Aksha. Pundarika Aksha here. Pundarika Aksha is another way to do it, but no, that's Pundarika Aksha. Uh, uh, Pundarika, Pundarika means a lotus and Aksha is eye, lotus eye, Lord. Uh, this, he calls this Mahatam Samshayam, great doubt. Siddhi in the heart, my heart. Situm, Arasi, please cut, the, cut this out. Uh, and then he calls him Sarvashna, one who knows everything, omniscient. Vachyo uh, Bihi, uh, with your words. Uh, uh, and those words are uh, Nayana Naipuna, very expert in logic. Naya is reasoning or logic, and Naipuna is is uh, uh, expert. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they simply say here, BBT uh, uh, here, Sri Uddhava requests Lord Krishna to clearly demonstrate the difference between the material body and the spirit soul. Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur translates it, you should destroy this doubt by showing the difference between Paramatma and Prakriti using words filled with skill and logic. The skill and logic actually modifies, technically speaking, the words of Krishna. It showed the skill and knowledge. Your words which exhibit your great skill and reasoning. So that, that his words are like that. Uh, so notice Paramatma and Prakriti here. And uh, here it's the Jeevan property. Uh, so he goes on here. Tattato jnanam hi jivanam tattato jnanam hi jivanam pramoshastetra shaktitaha tam eva shatma mayaya katindeta chaparaha uh, from you alone, the knowledge of the living beings arises, and by your potency, that knowledge is stolen away. So this is this this verse, by the way, is a complete denial of atheistic sankhya. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you, if you know something about sankhya, you know this, this. He's the one that causes knowledge and ignorance. Uh, Tattva jnanam hi jivanam from you tattvata excuse me I said tattva didn't I it's not tvata excuse me tvata from you tattaha I mispronounced that tvataha the knowledge of the living beings jnanam hi jivanam arises and pramoshate atra Shaktitaha Plum. And by your potency, uh, this knowledge is also taken away. By your potency, the knowledge comes, by potency, removed. Uh, indeed, uh, Adma Maya, your own potency, the Gati, the word Gati, which means course, way, manner, nature, uh, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, it's a path. Uh, 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 
the way of something, the manner of something. Um, you know uh, this. You know your own maya, your own illusory potency. You know it. Na-apara, and no one else. You're the only one. And there's a, there's a great verse. Huh? You're the only one who knows this. Right? Uh, and so from the, in the Bhagavad Gita, they quote, uh, I mean, the, the purport here, they quote Bhagavad Gita, Matasvitya-gyanam-apohanam-cha. Uh, with this, as Krishna says, the living entity, from me comes remembrance, knowledge, and forgetfulness. Mataha means from me, comes smitri jnanam apohanam. If you want smitri, remembrance, that is remembrance of Krishna, jnanam, knowledge of Krishna, Krishna's energy, apohanam, forgetfulness, apohanam really means pushing away. Uh, uh, so this is a very interesting statement in the Bhagavad Gita, which was actually picked up uh, by uh, Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson, the American transcendentalist philosopher who was one of the, read one of the first uh, English translations of the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, and he wrote a poem. One of his poems is called Brahma, which is about Brahman. Uh, and uh, it's in the words of Krishna. Uh, and one line in that poem, he says, when they me fly, that is to say, when people flee from me, fly away from me, when they me fly, I am the wings. <laughs> so he picked, up on, he picked up on this part. Uh, uh, when you forget me, I'm, making, I'm the one that enables you to forget. Uh, uh, so stated in Bhagavad Gita, Matasmitya Jnanam Apohanam Cha, from me comes remembrance, knowledge, and forgetfulness. By the Lord's causeless mercy, one is enlightened with knowledge, and by the Lord's illusory potency, that knowledge vanishes, and one is merged into ignorance. Those bewildered by Maya can understand the difference between the material body and the spirit soul, and thus should hear from the Lord himself to remove this illusory covering. That's why you can't tell the difference. And that's definitely bhakti. We add, please remove that covering and reveal yourself uh, to me. Otherwise, who can lift it off? But you have to want him to. You can't say, yeah, do it, but not now. But you know, later... Not right now. Give me a few more years. Uh, Vishnu Chakravarti says uh, to this one, you give knowledge by vidya shakti and by avidya steal it away. He names the potency as vidya shakti. It is your power of knowledge that gives knowledge and avidya why? And then the question is, uh, he picks up on this, you can only stand the real nature of your illusory potency. Why should it steal knowledge if it is my energy? You can say, you're asking Krishna this question. Why should it steal knowledge if it is my energy? Why should you do that? 
And Vishnu Chakravarti says, you alone know. <laughs> but uh, Prabhupada actually does describe what, in any particular case, sometimes we don't know, but basically it's us. Whether we, whether we, this, the freedom of the living entity, the minute freedom, you don't have the freedom not to be controlled by Krishna. Prabhupada explains this in the second canto of Bhagavatam. You, you have to be, you're controlled by Krishna. And that's constitutional. Constitutional means it can't be changed. But we can choose how we want to be controlled directly and favorably in devotional service or indirectly and under... When we want to be out of Krishna's control, that's not possible because that's constituted. But he can't control us in such a way that we're not conscious of that control and that's the illusory energy that veils Krishna. And then we think all oh, this fabulous machinery of our material bodies and everything else all just happens from nothing. It pops out of the void and and uh, just by accident uh, and uh, early on I, I, I wrote a letter to Srila Prabhupada I, I said to him I still have to write a doctoral dissertation do you have any suggestions and he suggested I defeat Darwin and that, that put me in a state of shock absolute shock uh, and then I realized, well, wait, because I grew up in Texas and Oklahoma a lot, and I was exposed to all kinds of people who didn't believe in Darwin. And I thought, do I have to become like those people? Uh, uh, and so, so um, but then I realized, well, wait a minute, our philosophy says, you know, that, that everything comes from Christians. Of course, Darwin is wrong. Well, yeah, of course, it's, it's, it's actually there. If you, 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 you accept the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead, the source of everything. Of course, Darwin is wrong. Okay, I can accept that. But then I thought, how can you show Darwin is wrong? I had no idea how to, how to go about that. And of course, I knew to do it in a religion department right now would not, not be really something I could ever fly with, but so I didn't know. And then I met Sadaputa. He was just new to the movement. He was coming by, I think, Nuvindavan put him out on traveling Sankatan or something like that. And I discovered that he just finished writing a PhD in mathematics from, from, from Cornell University. And he was just newly initiated devotee. And I showed him the letter I had from Prabhupada. And I said, do you have any idea how you can defeat Darwin? And he said to me this. Uh, he said, well, you know, I knew Darwin was wrong before I ever met devotees. And then he said, actually, most mathematicians know that Darwin is wrong, but they don't say anything because it upsets the biologists so much. <laughs> That's what he said. And it's still true. You, you can't, at this point, and he, he had arguments that he gave me, uh, mathematical uh, arguments about how Darwin is wrong. I couldn't follow the details, but I understood the, the, the method that, that Darwin was wrong. Uh, and, 
then later on, when I was working with him in the in the in the uh, in the Bhaktivedanta Institute, we actually found a conference had been held uh, uh, in in at uh, Worcester Institute at the University of Pennsylvania called Mathematical Challenges to Darwin's Theory of Evolution, and it was a serious academic conference where these mathematicians are mulling this over. Uh, and nowadays, no such conference could even be held because the, this idea of intelligence design came up and the whole scientific establishment basically stopped you from talking about it. If you want to lose your job, if you don't want to get a degree, if you want to be certain, you can't, you can't do it. The, the, the clamp is on. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the all... Uh, yeah, that's because because it's it's gotten some assumed to do a kind of a cultural war in in America. This issue whether Darwin is right or wrong, and people think like I used to think: if Darwin is wrong, then I'm going to have to you know accept Jesus Christ in my heart as my personal savior and become what unkindly seemed to me as one just great big stupid neon Jesus save sign. It's a cultural you know I didn't want to be like that. Anyway, that that's a whole whole other thing. But um, but uh, this is how people are covered, and that, that covering, uh, if you, you want it to be there, it'll be there. Like it'll give you arguments why there is no God, why God. That that those arguments are given by Krishna. He gives them the intelligence to forget him. Prophet has stated this. Those where those arguments come from. Uh, uh, Oh, anyway, uh, we have a few more minutes. Let's do one more. So I think, yeah, that's the end of... So then Krishna responds. Now we get the beginning of his response. Sri Bhagavan Uvacha. Prakriti Purushas Chaiti. Now notice the beginning again. Prakriti Purushas Chaiti. Vikalpa Purusharashava. Eshavaikarika Sargo. Guna... Yati Karatmakaha. The Supreme Personality of Godhead said, uh, uh, O best among men, material nature and its enjoyer are clearly distinct. This manifest creation undergoes constant transformation being founded upon the agitation of the modes of nature. Uh, so now he's going to go and dis, uh, describe material nature at the beginning. So he says, this prakriti and purusha, thus vikalpa, there's distinction from them. He calls them puru, uh, purusha rishava. Uh, uh, this, uh, the meaning this material nature, uh, vikarika, is subject to uh, transformation, uh, and then sarga, guna vyatikara, atmakaha. Uh, this uh, creation is based upon, sarga means uh, 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 creation, 
the bo- the body, the whole I mean thing that has been created, uh, uh, being founded upon the agitation of guna vyatika, the, the, the agitation of the modes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here he says, let me look at my notes here. I'm like, let's see. Yeah. So here, now notice what happens. In the word-for-word, DBT says, uh, uh, Purusha, the enjoyer, the living entity, purport. Right? That's in the word-for-word, purport. The word Purusha indicates the living entity and also the Supreme Lord, <laughs> who is the supreme living entity. So here they switch over. <laughs> here they acknowledge that it's both. Material nature, subject to transformation, is full of duality, whereas the Lord is one and absolute. So now they're switching to the Lord. Material nature is dependent on its creator, maintainer, and annihilator. The Lord, however, is completely self-reliant and independent. So that's one thing. So the living entity also is a spirit soul. It does not born, doesn't die. Similarly, there's no. See, the three modes of nature means basically creation, maintenance, and destruction. Mode of passion, mode of goodness, mode of ignorance. So, for the spiritual soul, there's no coming to being or going out of being at any time. So that means not subjected to the modes of nature, the transformation of creation or the transformation of destruction. That applies to the spirit too. Uh, In the same way, material nature is unconscious and dull, lacking in self-awareness, whereas the Supreme Lord is self-sufficient omniscience. And then... The living, individual living entity shares the eterna, eternality, bliss, and knowledge of the personality of Godhead and is also completely distinct from material nature. So this qualitative sameness of the jiva and, and the uh, jivatma and paramatma, and they both have this quality of not being subjected to these kind of transformations uh, of the material nature. The word sarga, here refers to the material algamation of the body which covers the living entity. The material body and the universe and somehow other people look everywhere they don't see God. Covers him. The material body undergoes constant transformation is thus clearly different from the living entity is eternally the same. In the transcendental kingdom of God there is no conflict or agitation caused by creation, maintenance and destruction as exhibited in the material world. There, all variety is resolved in the transcendental loving experience of Krishna consciousness, the natural constitutional position of the soul. There's there's variety in the spiritual world, and actually there's also variety within the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But this idea of coming into being and going out of being, that doesn't happen in the spiritual world. There's just an internal increase and there's a kind of transcendental time. Uh, Prabhupada just remarks that certainly there is time in in, in the spiritual world but it has no power to control activities. So figure it out. (laughs) I don't know what it is. 
uh, he, here, uh, here's Vishnu Chakravarti. Uh, he says, the, trend way, the way the, this verse is translated here, the Supreme Lord said, O best among men, Prakriti and the Lord are clearly distinct. Or he's with the Lord here. The body and effect of Prakriti arising from, the, from agitation of the gunas undergoes many changes. He says, there is extreme difference between them. Prakriti undergoes change, takes various forms, is dependent, is revealed by another. The Lord does not change, is one form, independent and self-revealing. When we perceive Krishna, it is not the same way we perceive the material world. The Lord does not change, uh, one form, independent, self-revealing. This is explained in four verses. Those are the next four verses now. It's a little explanation. The Lord is different from Prakriti. That is seen. The combination in the body, sarga, undergoes many changes and its nature arises from agitation of the gunas. The agitation of the gunas means it is a transformation of prakriti. The Lord, however, is only the witness without change. So he's not affected by any of this. So now he'll go on and to explain the transformations now of property, but I think we have to end there, right? We're, we're running out of time. So we'll stop there. So what, what happens now uh, is the next section, 29 to 34, we'll, we'll get the categories for understanding the difference between spirit and matter. And we've already been introduced. These, these words that are produced, adhyatmic, adhibaltic, adhidaivic, show up in the Bhagavad Gita, and also in, uh, uh, in, uh, in the uh, second canto of Bhagavatam, Prabhupada introduces these terms there. And that will be very interesting. I find them very interesting terms. And uh, so I'm going to just mark the place. We'll start with, uh, with just, uh, and then we will open it up uh, for questions, I have one. Uh, well, I have one to look at here. We got it. One was Ramananda sent in a question and answer. I have it here. Maybe I'll do that first, and then we'll go. We'll uh, we'll. Uh, okay, this question started. So then, that that case, what I'm going to do is. Uh, Speakerphone, put and go. So, in the, in, in the, we're in the question and answer session. So, if uh, you want to ask a question by phone, you can press pound uh, uh, signs. Uh, start. Star six, this is a kind of star six, and then you stream, you text into the chat form. So I got a letter earlier from uh, Ramananda Prabhu uh, from last time. I pointed out that the word uh, uh, datu was one of the words used for to mean ingredients and elements. It's like a medical term sometimes, you know. 
Ayurvedic medicine for the different uh, things in the body that are kind of icky, icky things. And, uh, and so he had a question because uh, he looked up Datu in the in the uh, in the database, and of course, words like elements like that, but also minerals, uh, 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 and then. Then, uh, and that is one word. It does mean a, a mineral, especially the dictionary says a red-colored mineral or, or an element. That, you know, those are datu. And then he's, but his question was, there was a conversation that Prabhupada had with government ministers, and Prabhupada said, there are authorities which are called shastra. Shash datu means to rule. From shash datu, shastra and shastra. Shastra means weapon. So, but here the word datu is a is a, a technical term in Sanskrit grammar. Again, the same idea of a basic element, uh, uh, and especially what Prabhupada is referring to, or what what at least Western scholars call a verbal root. The Sanskrit has a system of finding out for uh, the verbs, a, a, a root from which the whole verb is derived, and then many nouns. And every verb, every word practically like, likes to be traced back to an original verbal root. Uh, not every word, but mo- most of them. So, he, but he, so he's saying that the word Shastra uh, is derived from the verbal root Shash. Uh, uh, that is to say S-H with the, the, the acute accent and the second S has the dot underneath it for the shash, 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 shash. The second S, you've got to put the tip of your tongue into the roof of your mouth. Shash, shash, shash. Uh, shash datu. Uh, so, uh, so this is, uh, that's the verbal root, which means to, to rule or to... Uh, then to have a we- to, to to use a weapon, so shash, but that's what shastra comes from. You, you, so, for example, in, in Sanskrit, you could say uh, bhakti is derived from bhaj datu, bhaj bhaj being the verbal root, which means to share and divide, and then datu, uh, that root, and then from that you get bhakti. Uh, so that that's that was that's questions. That's another meaning of the word dhatu that we see, and and it's both all those are given in the dictionary. I just didn't get to go over all of them in the, that last time. So, so, any questions and answers currently? Earlier in the talk, you were saying that property is active. Yeah. But I'm I'm having a hard time understanding that because I always had understood that. Prakriti is in earth, and that by the presence of Purusha, Prakriti becomes actually. Yes. So, so Rumi says she's always thought of Prakriti as as innately inert, and when there's Purusha, it becomes active. Well, that's the account that we have. In other words, you you have an originally Krishna's energy, which is called Pradana, and then it becomes activated by the glance of Krishna. When he looks at it, 
the first thing happens, it becomes known as Mahatma, Mahatattva. And this Mahatattva uh, uh, is kind of uh, uh, property, then it, it's uh, before it differentiates in any way, but it's got the energy, the Kala Shakti, the time energy of Krishna is the activating principle. That comes from Krishna's glance. That's our account. So Pradhana by itself is just, yeah, it's primordial, undifferentiated material energy. And then it doesn't do anything until Krishna glances at it. And then it, then it, then it starts to differentiate. So that's, that's an, an atheistic shanti too. They have the idea that the first there's Pradhana, then there's Mahat. And then that Mahat is divided into goodness, passion, and ignorance, and then everything else evolves out of, out of uh, that, that way. But according to them, how does it all? It just happens. Like Big Bang. Yeah, well, yeah. The, Prabhupada says the Big Bang Theory is right. There was a chunk and it exploded, but who blew it up? Uh, uh, so somehow or other that energy comes from somewhere. And also from us, this even inert property is Krishna's energy. It, 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 when the material, when it's wound up in Krishna, it exists as a kind of almost indistinguishable from spirit. It's a distinct uh, material uh, energy that, that just is sort of wound up in Krishna and inert. Uh, and uh, it comes out, and then when it comes out, then, then he activates it. He's sometimes he's lying in that cloud, you know, that cloud, or sometimes it's an ocean, but anyway, whatever it is, it's just material energy. So it's a, it's his distinct energy of Krishna. Uh, also, so it, it comes from Krishna. It emanates from Krishna. It's not just sitting there. You know, there's just not two things. There's God and material nature. Well, where does that material nature come from? That also comes from him. And then he also activates it. And he sends it out by his, his his energy it evolves and then he winds it up again. He's described as the example of a spider that let, lets out his thread and takes it back up again. That's, that's the example that's used. So this this is this is where so not only it, it is does he activate it, but it's also comes out of him. It's Prabhupada points out that the word for creation uh, comes from the, the verbal root shrish, the shristi, stiti, palaya, sadhana, shakareva, shristi, comes from shrish, which means literally to send forth. Whereas generally uh, the Christian doctrine is uh, creation from nothing, ex nihilo, that, that God created the world out of nothing. Although they find it, every time I've read a Christian theologians account of how this happens because they're afraid that if 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 if, if, God, if the universe is what they would use the word emanation if, if it's an emanation from Krishna or from God then that would be pantheism because in some way nature would be divine I'm a little afraid of that 
So somehow it would be pantheism. Pantheism means nature is God. Or God is everywhere and in nature is, which he is, but anyway. They're afraid of that would lead to nature worship like the pagans. So to differentiate themselves, they came up with this doctrine of creation out of nothing. But you try to read an account of it, uh, God says, let there be, and then it's there. And then when they start to say how that happens, it's somehow like the subtle sound of God somehow, you know, <laughs> brings it into being out of nothing. So it's, ultimately when you try to describe it, our understanding of how, he, how it emanates is from very, very, very subtle. The more primordial an element is, the more subtle it is. Subtle means you can't detect it. It's hard to distinguish. So the creation proceeds from subtle to gross. And subtle things are, in this account, the subtle effects, the subtle causes are more, are, are, are more powerful than the gross effects. The causes are more subtle than the effects and they're more powerful. So, so that's why everything starts from sound because sound is the tanmatra associated with the gross element space, which is not so gross. We can't, by our own instruments, see it, hear it, taste, touch, and smell it, but we, we got the space. It's hard. Well, we can't, this sound is its characteristic, but what we hear is a, a vibration in the air, but the real sound that's in space uh, yeah. And then philosophers as emanation and transformation, right? Those two. Okay. So emanation just means it comes out of out of God. And early pagan philosophers, and and, and uh, I mean people like Plato, Parmenides, the early Greek philosophers or theologians had this idea. Uh, Neoplatonic philosophy, which was a kind of competitor with Christianity for a while, uh, pushing on further, that everything emanates from God. So they distinguished themselves from that. Although some early Christians were also Neoplatonism. Uh, Origen, Clement of Alexandria, they were Neoplatonists. And then, you know, the church decided to back away from all that. Uh, uh, but... Uh, so and so it comes it comes comes from early Greek philosophers, but the Greek philosophers, early Greece had a, had contact with Indian thinkers because at, at one time the Persian Empire had expanded to northern Greece, and so as typically happens, even though Greece and Persia were in some ways at war. Whenever that happens, the, 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 edu the, the highly educated people from each side like to talk to each other. I mean, there was a time in European history where the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslims were busy, you know, fighting like crazy with each other. But still in little islands in the Aegean Sea, you know, uh, 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 Christian uh, thinkers and theologians and monks would sit down with rabbis and would sit down with imam and they'd compare notes and what text do you have and you know what what are your ideas and they're curious you know so there was a lot of transmission across these kind of borders and especially 
when there was any kind of political overlapping or, or then, then, then it would happen. But the early Greeks talked about the gymnosophists of India, meaning gymnosophists means naked sages. Some take it to refer to the Jains, but anyway, this, they, they wanted to, and Plotinus, the, 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 uh, the, the Neoplatonist uh, uh, philosopher, wanted to go to the Ganges. He tried to make it on an ex- expedition, but had to turn back. And his biographer said that he was forced to spend his life on the bank of the Tiber, but I'd much rather have been in the Ganges. So they, they knew these things as a place of knowledge and stuff like that. So, so, so people underestimate modern people. Now they're beginning to realize they were wrong, but historians for years had not realized how much cultural contact there was between different cultures and civilizations in the ancient world. Just because people walked and went by slow boats doesn't mean they didn't get around. They did. Christianity decided, the early Christians decided to, I mean, at some point they decided to align themselves more with Aristotle. No, not necessarily Aristotle. That was a little later Aristotle came in. They, they learned, I didn't really learn what Aristotle was until much later in the, in the early Middle Ages when, in the Middle Ages, when, uh, when the Muslims actually, who had, you know, managed to ran, get books out of the Library of Alexandria, brought stuff that they had never seen before. They had some works of Aristotle and just thought because he was Plato's student, he agreed with them. And then, you know, then Aristotle has a big criticism of Plato that he couldn't explain mo- motion and everything. So that, that created a, a much more co- a very coherent and pretty, pretty secular uh, out- way of the world working that was quite different from Plato. And uh, that created, uh, they had to deal with that later on. That, that happened later than this. But they just decided on their own this, this idea of creation out of nothing. Uh, what was to, because... They, they, you know, both Islam and and the general tendency of the Abrahamic faiths, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, you know, really, really like to keep kind of a big barrier between God and the world. And the, and the fear is that somehow or other, if you, if you break that down in any way, then you'll end up with worshiping many things, or nature will be God, and you'll because that was the it really amounted to a kind of secularization of separating, uh, making the world profane uh, and separate from God. Uh, and it, that, but bhakti is really facilitated uh, because because people, when they start to have some actual sense of God, can get a sense of the nature that God is all-pervading. And uh, then you get people like St. Francis of Assisi preaching to birds. Now, why is he going to preach to birds? Or St. Anthony of Padua preached to the fish. You know, what does that mean? Father, yeah, brother, son, uh, sister, moon, you know, seeing these things. And the, the, the church can't quite accommodate that in, in, as a super serious idea. 
but but that's 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 just when you you start to see that everything in nature is divine, but that doesn't mean that nature is God. But we we just had a dialogue, a Vaishnava Christian dialogue, where the, the word divine, as they used, is meanings of the same category as God. So we had a little confusion in our discussion because the way we would use the word divine doesn't necessarily mean uh, God. They would use words divinized, divinization, but not divine. And they were very careful to say Mary is revered, not worshipped. Yeah, you were there. That's right. Mary is revered. I'm talking to Mina here in our studio audience, to people out there. Yeah, she was there at that dialogue, right, that she's revered but not worshipped as God. Uh, and they, they have different technical terms for the kind of worship you pay to Mary, to the saints, and to God, you know using different Latin terms to, to differentiate them. But of course the Protestants don't accept all that. But you're saying the reason for this is because of that fear of oh, yeah. being too closely aligned to nature. Yeah. Because the, the Greeks, you know, every, every, it's the same, same as the Vedic. Every, you know, uh, 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 garden of you know natural growth had its, de- its presiding deity, its tutelary deity that protected it. Every river, every stream, there were you know whatever gods or demigods or whatever you want to talk about. All these I like to use demigods so you won't get confused. And you know everywhere, and, and uh, so so, uh, and that was the common view, and it, it actually would be better if it came back. You want to understand it in the right way, but the Christians did think, you, you, you know. I mean, I mean, uh, I forgot his name. I'll get it off my head. The, uh, the, 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 the one one tribe in Thuringia in Germany worshipped a sacred oak, and some some saint came down from England and chopped it up. You know, this huge gigantic oak. Uh, and that they all worshipped as sacred, you know, just chopped it apart. I forgot which, which one it was. Uh, these are the things that they were doing. And then, after Chim, where's the power of your God, you know? I can chop it down. Oh, my God is bigger than your God. That's where you've got to start, you know, converting all the pagan tribes to, to Christianity. And there's a little later on. That those kind of things happen, but he should not cut down that oak. <laughs> okay, uh, Monterey has a few questions here. I'll start with his second one. It's more. Mm-hmm. He's talking about Neoplatonism. How about Giordano Bruno's realization that resembles universal form? Could he have that experience following his path? Yeah, it's possible. I, I don't know the details of, of Bruno's, uh, you know, he was burned at the stake, by the way. He was an early uh, scientist, and, uh, and uh, he, was, he was condemned. But he had certain ideas like that. And Prabhupada, um, um, in the very beginning of the Bhagavatam, in the second canto of the Bhagavatam, there's a chapter that at least Prabhupada's title is the first step in God realization is the universal form. And the idea of the universal form of, of nature is to, is to gradually get people 
into the idea uh, that 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 nature is God's energy, and so and it's it's a way of ultimately getting to super soul. Generally, super soul or paramatma is in most theistic religions kind of the highest idea of God. Uh, I mean, there are other things going on, but but there's not much. What what is God doing in the spiritual world? He's there. He's eternal. He, he's surrounded, there's devotees there because that's where the saved go. What do they do? Uh, and mostly it's, it's like a long church service. Um, and I always, I mean, I asked this question when I was a kid. I realized when I was thinking of God being all-powerful that, that, that creating and maintaining the, the world, would, if he's all-powerful, if he's infinitely powerful, that's the term I use, infinitely powerful, then with just the tip of his little finger he could do it all. So what does he do with his time? And I asked my Sunday school teacher and the pastor, and, you know, I asked that question, and they never even thought about it. And, uh, and, uh, I just thought, you know, it must be really boring in the spiritual. I mean, God must be bored. He must be bored. And that's when I thought, okay, now I understand what church is about, is to give you a taste for boredom. Uh, because he couldn't think. And then I read a, years ago, Billy Graham, the Christian evangelist, had a newspaper column that was ran in a Philadelphia paper for a while. And somebody asked him, what do we do in the spiritual world? And he said, he, he frankly didn't know, but he was sure that God had some heavenly wonderful task for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like that. But he didn't really know. Uh, so, I mean, so, the main, for many, many Christians, and probably Muslims, and, is the main thing about heaven is we are not in hell is the absence of suffering. And maybe it's like a long holiday. Again, I would think of a long, boring holiday, but anyway, with your pious resurrected relatives sitting around some kind of suburban backyard while Jesus goes from door to door or something, I don't know. While you're just you know, having a, a quiet, eternal Sunday, which again was not so attractive. But, it, it, you know, along, anyway, it's, but the more sophisticated Christians will, will, will say it's the beatific vision. You're in the constant presence of God, and that is so wonderful. And here you get up to, like, kind of Shantarasa, uh, you know, the, the, at least passive, an idea of passive adoration uh, that's, that's there. Uh, but and but the, then different saints have other experiences and, and they yeah bridal mysticism you think of yourself as the bride of Christ and you start to get into and I, and then I, I I would meet pious Catholic women in Philadelphia a friend of mine took me to see her mother who had a statue of this infant of Prague a, a, a manifestation of Jesus as a baby 
that happened in Prague. Someone had a vision and made a, a picture of it or a statue of it called the infant of Prague. And that was her baby. You know, she, she worshipped Jesus as a baby. They're sort of like parental, beginning of parental feelings, you know. But that's not cultivated and it's not subject to the kind of discrimination that, that you find given to it by the Skoswamis and, and, and so on. Anyway, that, there's a question, another question. Uh, I wonder when the Jesus starts proceeding time when it enters into the matter. What is the process that turns the, quote, no time consciousness to moving in time consciousness? That's a really interesting question. I have no idea how it works. I have no idea. But I don't know what a fetus in the womb, what its first experience would be, but it must be rhythms. Like the, the loudest thing must be the mother's heartbeat. And again, boom, boom, you know, there's a rhythm already with a repetition on a regular basis. You would hear that, right? Uh, pretty much. But I don't know when the, the, the actual senses began. When I was a kid growing up, everybody thought the fetus, nothing happened until it was born. Now they know a fetus seems to have a very active life and hears music. Because they used to tell mothers this idea that, you know, a baby could be born with a scar because the mother was frightened and, and you know, that was an old wives' tale and that, that they're, they're, they're protected and isolated from the womb. This was in the 50s. This was like the, the straight doctrine that it really didn't matter. But now, now the baby seems to have quite, quite a, quite a uh, understood to have quite an active uh, range of experiences uh, while in the womb of the mother. But, I, but uh, I don't know enough about embryology to know, and I don't know if anybody knows, and I don't know how anybody would test it when they can actually start, their senses start operating because of the development of the body. Remember, the body is just an organized array of, of jnana shakti, I mean, jnanindriya uh, uh, and karmindriya, the instruments of action and the instruments of perception. And, uh, but, you know, something they don't include in that is your sense of your own body, your sense of balance, your sense of change of place, and, and so on like that, unless that's somehow included in touch or something like that, I don't know. Uh, your orientation in space, that may be part of the, 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 the sparsha uh, sensation. You know, you have a sense of balance, for example, and you know whether you're sitting up or lying down without looking around. It's a sort of interior gyroscope of some kind or other that, that registers these things. You know the weight of your own limbs. There's these interior uh, proprioceptive sensors like that, they're called, I think. And uh, I don't know when those develop. So when the, when the, the living entity getting that body starts to have material experiences. And maybe just for a while is unconscious and then wakes up. I think there's something in the Bible time about when it wakes up, actually. Um, that's all I know about that or don't know about that. <laughs> Anything else? Yeah. Transformation and emanation? Is that a whole other subject? 
Oh, yeah. Well, the transformation of energies. Uh, Chakracharya uh, has the idea that when, when, uh, when uh, uh, this is in the, when you'll find this in the Chaitanya Charitamrita Prabhupada discusses this, when uh, uh, Lord Chaitanya is talking with Pakistan on the Saraswati and the Mayavadis, he's giving his account. And uh, Shankaracharya uh, says that uh, the theory of uh, Parinamavada, the, the transformation of energies, the Supreme Lord would become uh, transformed. And therefore he rejects, he, he proposes Vivartavada, uh, this theory of illusion. How does the word world exist? So. The Mayavad is Vibhartavada. It's an illusory superimposition. Really what Shankaracharya denies is that everything comes from Brahma. He would deny the emanation. Yes, so the emanation, this world is not an emanation from Brahman. Ultimately, it is an illusory superimposition by Maya. And is that called transformation? No. As the Lord Chaitanya says, that what the real meaning of parinamavada, of the transformation of energies, is that Brahman, see, he says, if, if, the, if, if, if parinama, transformation, the theory of transformation is true, parinama, uh, parinama just means transformation, the doctrine of transformation, doesn't mean that Brahman is transformed, but the energies of Brahman are transformed. Uh, vikara, Vikari is transformation. Uh, so this is so Shankaracharya has understood this idea that that by if there is transformation, Brahman would be transformed. So Lord Chaitanya says, no, Brahman is not transformed, but but rather it is it is a the transformation of his energies. The 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 in, in the Mandukya Upanishad, there's the famous example. You go into a room, and there's a rope, but you see a snake. You know, and sometimes you, have, if you see it. That's what you see. And what you have done is imposed the illusory snake onto the, the, the rope. And uh, so Shankara says, yeah, this is what Maya is. It's an illusory superimposition upon Brahman. Uh, and uh, Chaitanya says this example, uh, we understand the example is identifying the body with the soul as an illusory superimposition. But we do that. Otherwise, whose illusion is it? Whose illusion is it? Is it Brahman's illusion? Then that means illusion is more powerful than Brahman. Uh, it can't be the jiva's illusion because the jiva is a product of illusion, my right? individual identity. So it can't be the jiva's. Who does the illusion belong to? So there's this kind of pre-coding illusion, which is why you know they end up saying that maya cannot be con- conceived of as either as existing or as not existing, because you need it in some place and you don't. Doesn't work in another. So you kind of get this idea of cannot be conceived as one or the other. Uh, uh, so we believe the, 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 
material energy creations manifest by the energy of the Lord, but he himself sustains the same. Here I've got it up here. Here's what Jiva Goswami says in his Paramatma Sandarbha. He says, under the spell of Vivardavada, the, the theory of illusion, one imagines the separate entities, namely the cosmic manifestation and the living entities, to be one with Brahman. This is due to complete ignorance regarding the actual fact. The, actual, the absolute truth, or Parabhama, is always one and always the same. He is completely free from all other conceptions of existence. He is completely free from false ego, for he is the full spiritual identity. It is impossible, absolutely impossible for him to be subjected to ignorance and to fall under the spell of a misconception of Vartavada. Because once you, when, when you perceive the absolute truth, when you when you're under the under the spell of ignorance, then it's God that creates the world. See, the the illusion is not an illusion of a world without God. It's an illusion of God emanating a world. That's the illusion. Uh, uh, so so uh, that's 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 really because I mean Shankaracharya accepts. The idea, you know, that, that, that yeah, the Brahman emanates the world, but yeah, but that that world Brahma, that world God complex. Once it, once there's a world that that comes out, then it's a person. That's the illusion. That's that that that's what is is is. Uh, uh, so then, so we understand this uh, idea of Parinamavada. Transformation it means transformation of of God's energies, but God Himself remains untouched by it. Anyway, that's that's a short. So, in a sense, the transformation is a type of emanation. In the yeah, yeah, it is emanation. Yeah. It is emanation. Because, uh, but it's not that. See, the other objection is, yeah, if 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 the world came as emanated from God, then God would be subtracted. You know, but if the idea of God is Purna, if he's Purna, it's another Mayavada argument. Uh, if the God, if God, if God is God, would be depleted something. He would lose something. But if he's Purna, you can you can take away 100 percent. He's still 100 percent. That's the same Purna Madap Purna Midam. So he wouldn't be transformed that way either by by losing something or changed. Uh, So these are the different different ideas that, that uh, you you have to have to deal with. Uh, yeah, because actually there's a Mayavad argument against it. Uh, the same as a Christian argument against it from from uh, different reasons. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? I guess we are finished. So we where do we? Pick up again. Let me see. Where am I? My word, I say. Yeah. So we'll start next time with with text number thirty, and then we will uh, yeah. So text thirty, we begin with. Uh, Continue with uh, uh, Uddhava's 
uh, answer. By the way, interestingly, the meter changes here with 30. Yeah. Okay, very much. Thank you very much. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai Shri Bhagavatam Ki Jai.